You are now listening to the Random Rambles of Jay. Number 25. Hello. PSN user 315320. This is a call in regards to your PlayStation network account. Unfortunately, due to security issue, your account was hacked seven days ago. At which time your credit card and PSN purchase history and billing address may have been exposed. We are truly sorry for any inconvenience caused at this time. We would like to remind you at this point that Uncharted 3 will be in stores from November 1 exclusively for PlayStation 3. You are currently listening to The Random Rambles of Jay for the week beginning May 2nd, 2011. Hello, y'all. <laughs> this stupid voice. I keep breaking into it. I, I don't know. Well, I do know why I blame my friend, Andrew. He's the reason. Because I know I've broken into this voice a couple of times in my past podcasts, both during the intros. And I blame Andrew. You can blame Andrew too. He played these two clips to me from Family Guy, both of which spoof films. The first being Jaws, the second being Alien. And the voice of the shark and the alien are both exactly the same. And it's the voice of Cleveland. And it's gotten bad to the point now where I had to show my friends this video as well. And now we will just be all kicking it together, chilling. And someone will just randomly say, Hey y'all, I'm gonna eat that leg. Hey y'all, you think I'm gonna let you get away? You crazy. We we are a weird bunch, some of my friends and I, and I know I'm a bit silly, I'm a bit weird. Those of you who listen to my podcast know I'm a bit weird. Those of you who know my blog, again, know I'm a bit weird, so this should come as no surprise to you. Oh God, look, spouting off on all of this voice nonsense, and I haven't even introduced myself on my podcasts. These, (laughs) so I will introduce it now. Hello? You are currently listening to the Random Rambles of Jay podcast number 25. My name is Jay and these are my random rambles. I'm pretty sure given my two minute tirade on a voice from Family Guy, you need no explanation as to why I call these the random rambles of Jay. So I'm feeling a bit kooky right now i'm not high on weed or crack you probably wouldn't believe me but i am just in a really good mood april has been a really cool month for me and i will explain why very shortly but i just find little things which normally annoy me aren't annoying me like one thing a random thing my car i washed my car yesterday and today I walked past my car, there was bird shit all over it. It's a bit of a mystery how birds manage to keep shitting on my car when I'm not parked underneath 
a tree and I'm not parked underneath a lamppost. I think I actually know why birds are shitting on my car. I killed five pigeons over the past two weeks. Notice how I just said that like it was absolutely normal. Oh, I killed five pigeons. I'll explain to you why. Where I live, outside my front door, there's like a mini closet or a mini shed and you can put things on top of it. What usually happens at certain periods in the year is pigeons constantly try to build nests. I got so sick of it in the end, I had to block it off. I had to build this makeshift thing so that pigeons could not rest there, put a nest there, shit there. It bothered me, but for some reason it doesn't bother my neighbours. As I'm walking down the path, past all my neighbours' houses, pigeons will just fly out in my face. I've mentioned it to my neighbours several times, like, look, can you do something about this because I'm really sick of the pigeons flying out in front of my face, shitting all over the pathway, it's disgusting. Pigeons are vermin, they're like flying rats. But they don't do anything. They obviously like scrubbing bird doo-doo up off their doorstep every day. I don't. So what I started doing is late at night, I'd patrol my pathway with a broom and I'd wait for a pigeon to fly out and then I would whack it down to the floor. And I managed to kill about five pigeons this way in the past two weeks. So what I think is happening is... The friends or the relatives of these pigeons who are killed witnessed me murder them and now they just hover around my car and shit on it. This is obviously the pigeon form of revenge. I'm in too good of a mood to really care and get angry about it. I know this seems like a really stupid, fickle thing, but I'm one of those types of people where silly little things like this normally really annoy me to no end. But now I'm in this stupid good mood it it's like oh they shit on my car i'll wash that later and i just don't care enough it's it's really weird but as i mentioned april has been quite good to me and i will explain all very soon i could tell you what's in store for you in this podcast but i won't actually i will tell you a little something I will be talking about Mass Effect. That's all I'll say. I will be talking about Mass Effect in great detail. So you do not want to miss that. And I talk about some other stuff. But you'll have to just wait and see what those stuff are. <laughs> some of you must be thinking, wow, you must be on crack. Right, Let's head straight into that segment where I talk about what has been going on in my life and all will be revealed as to why I am in this rather good mood. So let's kick start the segment which is appropriately titled In My Life. Let's go. So I mentioned earlier that April, April, what what is the correct and most eloquent way to say it? April, April. Well, the month that comes before May. <laughs> I mentioned that it was a very good month and has been a very good month for me and to me. And there are several reasons for that. The first 
being, I got a new job. You can't see me, but I'm doing my, I'm getting mal paid in a new job dance. <laughs> I have a new job, which has just made me so much happier. I wasn't happy at the last job I was in. I'm very thick skinned. I find it very easy to um, not let things get to me so much, but my last job just shot through all of those barriers and defences which I normally have. It just... Uh, it, I won't go too much into it because, frankly, I get depressed just thinking about it. The situation I was in in my last job, it was a complete mess and I'm just so glad that I'm able to put that behind me now. I believe in cause and effect and there are certain times in life where things truly do happen for a reason and believe it or not I am grateful for having that shit job. Who knows whether I would be in the position I am in now at my new and improved brand spanking new shiny job if I wasn't working in that shithole. So I owe a lot to it and I met some amazing people who I'm still friends with they hate me, <laughs> especially when I pop in and visit them and I see how happy they all are. <laughs> but that that's probably the biggest reason as to why April has been a good month for me. I finally got a new job. And another reason, and it's a really silly basic reason, is the weather in the UK has been really, really nice. Every day there's been sunshine daylight it's lovely i wake up in the morning and the sun is shining and i leave work and the sun is still shining and i get home and the sun is still shining i love it i'm a very simple guy so little things like the sun shining and the weather being nice that makes me happy <laughs> so that's one thing and another was the month of april brought on two full day weekends full day weekend easter fell on the it's really bad that i do not know when easter fell because of the way it fell it meant that the bank holidays fell either side of the weekend on a friday and a monday so that was one four day weekend there the royal wedding fell on a friday which was declared as a bank holiday and then the following Monday was also May Day bank holiday. So that was the second four-day weekend. And that was two weeks in a row. Two four-day weekends. It was wonderful. And what a lot of people were doing was booking their holidays around the bank holiday so they would get an extended holiday. So if you are fortunate enough to work a Monday to Friday, 9 to 5 and no bank holidays so pretty much if you're not working in retail <laughs> then it would mean that friday was a bank holiday so you wouldn't work saturday sunday your days off then monday's a bank holiday then what you do is book tuesday wednesday and thursday off as holiday and then friday was bank holiday again saturday sunday off then monday's a bank holiday so you're getting 10 to 11 days off of work but you've only used up three days worth of your holiday allowance. And that is the skank right there that many of my friends pulled. But 
I wasn't that quick. A lot of people at my job got in there before I did. So two full day weekends, amazing. That wasn't even three weeks after me returning back to society after my two and a half week holiday, or as I like to call it, my extended crusty time. I've deliberately not deemed this time off from work as holiday, but more crusty time or crusty weeks. Crusty week is when you do f all. You wake up, you eat rubbish, you watch a bit of TV. So half of March I was crusty and for the last two weeks of April I was partially crusty. I love it. I'm, I, I embrace the crusty lifestyle. I do. Let, let's sum that up as to why April has been a good month for me. New job. Mal money. Mal money. And you know what Biggie Small said? Mal money, mal problems. But I really don't care. I will take all the extra problems if I'm getting paid. I'm getting paid. New job. <laughs> but no, aside from the money, that was really shallow. But aside from the money, seriously, better money, but better job, much more fulfilling, better prospects. And my goal at this job is to get business cards. Once I get those business cards, I will hand them out to everybody. I would just throw them in people's face. I'd step on a train or a bus and just be like, Whoosh! in someone's face. Like, that's my business card, bitch. That is my business card. It hit you in the face. Pick it the f up. So that's my goal. <laughs> that's my goal to get business cards. Second reason why april has been a good month weather great weather i love the sun i love a good day i do love a good day though actually i'm a little bit pissed the thing is with me i have really nice coats i, I i'm not trying to be a, a fly son of a bitch but i have nice coats people always tell me how nice my coats are because i pick a good coat and when the weather's good i can't wear those coats because it's too hot and i don't own many jackets I own lots of hoodies, but I don't always want to wear a hoodie because it makes me look... Do you know what I think it is, working in central London? Generally, I'm a very casual dresser, and I think if I have a hoodie on, too casual. It's different if I'm on a day off, or I'm going to visit a friend, or I'm not at work. I will throw on a hoodie, but to work, it's just... Mm. But I tend not to have many jackets. I'm, I'm more of a coat guy, so... The nice weather's good because it means... I don't have to wear these heavy coats. But at the same time, I can't show off my coats. That's the one thing about winter I like. I've always got lots of coats to wear that people are like, oh, that coat's nice. So I can't show off my coats. But the weather's nice. I just, I keep meandering off point. What was I supposed to be talking about again? Oh yeah, why April's a good month. Okay, weather. I like the weather. <laughs> and the third point was the two full day weekends. And there is a fourth well, I don't know. Between those three, I'm good. <laughs> but April has been a good month for other people too. April is a good month for Prince William and Catherine Middleton too, as they got married. I, I'm not... I don't really care... Oh, God, this is going to sound awful. But I don't really care much about the royal family, to be honest. And I wasn't really hung up on the wedding. By the time I woke up on the day of the wedding, it was already done. Because I didn't wake up until like 2 o'clock and the wedding had already started and ended by then. Everybody was probably kicking it at Buckingham Palace, having a post-wedding barbecue and all the rest of it. But 
you know, I'm not one to shit on other people's happiness. I'm really happy for Kate and Will. And Kate looked nice in that wedding dress. I will say that. Will was looking pretty hot until he took off that hat. That boy is going bald too soon. He's going bald so bad and he's going the worst kind of bald. You know some people go bald right in the top of their head? Will is going bald all over. His hair looks like Shiva, Goro and Kintaro from Mortal Kombat all took clumps of his hair out of his head. He is balding really, really badly. I I remember I tweeted saying he should have worn a wig or kept that hat on because the baldness looks so bad. But from from certain, actually, no, every angle, his head looked bad. He's going bald so badly. Poor thing. He gets that from his dad because I know Charles went bald early and his baldness still looks bad now, even though he's like 203 years old. Will looked good. Harry looked good. Harry looked like a pimp at the wedding, actually. He looked better than Will. Will was wearing this red thing and Harry was wearing this black suit looking like he was ready to go Mission Impossible on someone in that church. Everyone was looking good. Kate was looking pretty, but her sister was looking better. This was the common theme at the wedding, is that for every person that there was in attendance, their younger relative looked better. Will looked cool, but Harry looked cooler. Kate looked pretty, but Pippa looked hot. And Pippa looked so hot that she was trending on Twitter. And when you're trending on Twitter, that's when you know you've made it. You know, you just know. So that was a nice, that's another nice event which happened in April. Didn't really impact my life in any way, but I'm happy for Prince William and I'm happy for Kate. And what else? That's it. Oh, another thing I will give a shout out to one of my friends who ran the London Marathon last week. He actually finished. I I didn't get to ask him which position he finished or how long it took him. And frankly, I didn't really care. I was just really proud of him that he actually ran the marathon and that he finished full stop. I have so much admiration for people who are able to run the London Marathon because I know I couldn't. I, I couldn't do it. I would die. I was awful at cross country at school because the thing is with me is I have my stamina is really bad that's I probably shouldn't be declaring how bad my stamina is on the podcast (laughs) but my stamina is good when it needs to be that's all I will say read between those lines (laughs) but generally I'm more of a short distance running I'm good because I'm really fast but long distance running I can't do it I was always really bad at cross country at school I was good when it came to hurdles and sprints, but long distance runs, marathons and cross countries, no, I just cannot do it. So I have so much respect and admiration for people who are able to do it because it is such a selfless act because they're not doing it for themselves, they're doing it for other people. So um, I am really, really, really proud of my friend for doing the London Marathon, very, very proud of him indeed. And already he's talking about wanting to do it next year. So he's awesome. He is a very, very awesome guy. So well done to you, sir. Generally, April, very, very good month. And I hope it has been a good month for you too. Now play on Random J Radio Radio. We are scientists. After hours. After hours. Now play on Random J Radio Radio.
story which seems to be just engulfing and overshadowing everything else right now is the playstation network hack on a really silly basic level lots of gamers are like oh i can't play this game i can't play that game online oh my god what about my trophies and blah blah blah, blah, blah. but on the bigger scale the scale that gamers really need to be concerned about is that the details and account information of the millions of PlayStation Network users have been compromised and Sony are now facing lawsuits and are in real trouble because it's starting to come to light that perhaps all of the PlayStation Network user information wasn't well encrypted or encrypted enough. It was between April 17th and April 19th that Sony discovered that the PlayStation Network had been hacked and I think it was around that time that an official statement was put out to say some bitches have hacked our system it's absolutely crazy and i i don't know sony are in trouble (laughs) it's one of those things where the way i feel about it it's not affecting me because i do not own a playstation 3 yet but i feel like obviously it's a really really serious issue because these are people's credit card details which are at stake here and there have already been stories from gamers who have said that they've received bank statements and seen that many illicit purchases have been made with their credit card that they are not accountable for but i might be a little bit jaded in what i'm about to say it seems that everybody seems to be throwing so much shit at sony over this but these same people will be the very exact people who will forget all of this ever happened as soon as Uncharted 3 comes out. Then it will be like nothing happened at all. It is going to be interesting to see how Sony go about damage control. All Sony seem to have been doing this generation with their PlayStation 3 is constant damage control. First it was the controller with the six axis and the Batarang and changing it. Then it was the new SKU, dropping a model, introducing a model coming out with the PlayStation 3 Slim Fug, which people didn't like, and then news of the PlayStation Network Gold after people were talking up the PlayStation Network Gambit being that it was free, PlayStation Network going down, PlayStation Home being a complete failure, 
the price of the system at launch it just seems all sony have been doing this generation is just constant damage control and part of me feels sorry for them <laughs> but the thing with sony is that all it takes is a really really big game and then it's like the mistakes they made they do not matter they just get swept under a rug all it takes is a really big game and then sony are forgiven this does raise a really important issue about how you go about protecting your card information obviously there is only so much we can do we can't encrypt our details and data ourselves this is just a stark reminder that no system is flawless people can hack it and your data and your personal information can very much be compromised because of my innate fear of this happening this is exactly why i have not registered a credit card of mine on my xbox live account i recall something similar to this happening to microsoft a couple of years ago and the thing is is if i can avoid logging my card details or tying my card to a particular service i always will you don't need to register your credit card with playstation network or xbox live you can buy your currency for those systems at game game station on amazon on play you can buy them everywhere and then just redeem the codes on the system that's what i do with my xbox live account if I need to renew my account, I do not use my credit card. I will go to a shop and buy the card and then redeem the code on the console. Likewise, if I'm buying points, and it was exactly the same thing with the Wii. If ever I bought Wii points, I would not use my credit card on the system. I would just go to the shop, buy the points and redeem it on the console. It's the safest way. Then at least when something like this happens, you can rest assured that your card details are safe because you never logged them into the system at any point. So this is definitely my advice to any of you who did register a credit card with um, the PlayStation Network. Change your card, cancel it, just to be on the safe side. This is something which unfortunately happens and can happen. It could have happened to Nintendo, it could have happened to Microsoft. But um, And I'm not going to play the whole, this is exactly why Xbox Live is better. I'm not going to play that card. I'm not going to play that card. Because I think it's an unfounded argument to make. Because we all know that Microsoft have made some really questionable decisions concerning their systems in the past. And the all-seeing eye of Watchdog did not overlook Microsoft when they were putting out these faulty Xbox 360s. So let's not be monkeys and sling doo-doo around at each other's cages. Sony f*** up. It's very unfortunate for them, but it really could have happened to anyone. I definitely feel Sony should have handled the situation better because I think the main concern with Sony and part of the reason why they may end up facing so many damages is because they didn't make this information clear to users. They, they knew that their PlayStation Network had been hacked, but I think many of them were burying their heads in the sand and hoping that it would all blow over and nobody would notice and they could get the system up and running before anyone truly knew what was going on and it backfired because now people are turning around and saying, the second you knew that our information was compromised, you should have told us, and that's a fair argument to make. Those extra few days that it took for Sony to let people know what was going on, people's card details could have already been fished out. So, bad move, Sony, bad move, thumbs down, boo. And it's really interesting, because this is so big, it's in the media, international media, it's in the tabloid newspapers, it's been in The Guardian... 
the Daily Mail, lots of magazines and tabloids. And it's kind of, I don't know, it, it makes the game industry look worse because that's the spin that many newspapers have been putting on the whole story. It kind of gives them weight to turn around and say, this is exactly why games are bad. This is why young kids go out and shoot people and rape and they're socially deficit. And it's like, come on now, come on. Correlate and link everything in a logical, rational way. Let's not generalise here. Good luck to them. If you would like to stalk slash follow me on Twitter, you can at underscore random J underscore. That is underscore random J underscore. You can also check out my blog at www.randomjblog.com and this podcast is available on iTunes. Yes, it is. Just click on the search field, type in the random rambles of Jay and I will be the one and only podcast which shows up. To all of you newbies, if you like what you heard, subscribe and download the random rambles of Jay today. I have no idea what the deal is with this, but every time I sign into Xbox Live, I am pretty much the only person online within my friends list. I don't know if I have the scarlet letter stitched to my chest, if my my virtual body odour stinks, if I have e-rabies, I have no clue. But every time I sign into Xbox Live... I am the only person in my friends list online. I I know I can be a very antisocial gamer at times. I just want to play my Mass Effect, my RPGs, my Marvel vs. Capcom 3 offline. But it gets lonely sometimes. Sometimes I just want to game with somebody. I look in my friends list and there's there's just no one. No one at all. Sniff, sniff. Waggle, waggle.
And Nintendo have a couple of new pieces of hardware, one of which is out now and another which is due to be unveiled at this year's E3. Let's talk about the 3DS first. Sales of the 3DS aren't wonderful. In Japan, the sales are hitting the same level as the Bandai Wonderswan, which, which is not good. Not good at all. I guess a partial factor to the sales situation in Japan could possibly be the Tohaku earthquakes. But in the UK, sales are just as lukewarm. The 3DS isn't flying off the shelves and it could be one of several factors. I think some consumers' concerns might be that initially the 3DS isn't miles away from the original DS. It has better graphics, it has an analogue thingy, it features stereoscopic 3D. But is that really enough to sway you into buying this system at launch? And I guess the answer to that would be no, if the sales figures are anything to go by. In Nintendo's defence, the 3DS is a good little piece of kit. It took me several plays to actually really see what the big deal was. The first time I played the 3DS, I thought it was crap. Played it the second time, and the 3D really stood out. And I thought, oh, this is cool. Third time I played the 3DS, I played Super Street Fighter 4, 3D edition and Nintendogs and Cats and those two games really showcase the stereoscopic 3D brilliantly. Super Street Fighter 4 has this new mode called dynamic mode where the camera is positioned just over the shoulder of the character you're controlling and the 3D 3D in that was brilliant it really sold me. Nintendogs and Cats again the 3D in that game is really really impressive it fooled me. I was standing in the middle of game looking like an absolute plum. I kept moving my head from left to right and up and down because I was trying to see behind the cat. (laughs) That could be a factor as to why the 3DS isn't selling as well. You need more than just a quick minute play session on the middle of a shop floor to really get a feel for the hardware and to really witness the 3D in a form that makes you think, okay, this is really good, I am going to buy into this. And I think that might be the problem, that some people are walking into their local game or their HMV and they're playing a game, looking at it, thinking, the 3D doesn't work that well, there are four of everything on the screen, my eyes are killing me, what is this mess? What is this shit? I have no interest in it. And they walk away with a really bad impression of the 3DS because I know a couple of my friends had that impression of the system the first time they played it. So it could be that. The 3DS probably caters more to the hardcore crowd than the DS did, simply because of the types of games that were being shown at the E3 event last year, and also because of the games which are being shown in a lot of the 3DS's promotional material. With that in mind, the launch games for the 3DS are shit. The only one... Well, I don't want to say the only one decent game is because Nintendogs is a really good game. I'd say the only title on the 3DS at launch right now which has impact that could really be pushed to the hardcore crowd, if you will, is Super Street Fighter 4. But the problem with that game is most people who would consider buying a 3DS, chances are they have a Xbox 360 or a PlayStation 3, which means they could potentially just pick up Super Street Fighter 4 on the console 
for £20. So what incentive would they have to spend over £100 on a new piece of hardware and then an additional £30 to £40 on a game they already own on a console, which also looks better? And I think that's the issue. There isn't really an incentive for anybody to buy a 3DS right now. I think the 3DS is going to pan out in a similar way to the PSP, that initial sales are really slow, but as the third-party titles start to roll out, sales will really, really start to pick up. And I think, not so much in the summer, but as we start to head into the holiday season, 3DS is going to start selling like hotcakes, because by then, a lot of those really brilliant, awesome games we saw at E3 last year they will be out. So the 3DS, I definitely think that system's going to be a slow burner. It's going to be one of those systems which sells well once more people and the masses are actually able to get hands-on with it and really be sold by the 3D because I don't think that's happened yet. All is not lost. Nintendo never fall off with their handhelds. This is the thing. It's not selling brilliantly now, but it will. It will pick up. Nintendo know what they're doing with their handhelds. Nintendo's decisions are questionable when it comes to the consoles, but they do not f*** around with the handhelds. So um, Nintendo will bring it back. They bring it back. They always do. And in more Nintendo news, Nintendo have a new console on the way which has been confirmed it has been slated for a 2012 release date and it will be shown at this year's e3 it currently undergoes the project name or the code name project cafe and considering nintendo went and chose such a stupid name for their last console the wii it wouldn't surprise me if they called this system the super coffee or some bullshit like that I want to be excited about the prospect of a new Nintendo system coming out, but I find it very hard. Just because Nintendo always seem to be... Ugh, whenever they take two steps forward, they take three steps back. That's Nintendo for you. Nintendo always make really stupid decisions with their consoles. The last console which Nintendo put out, where they did everything perfect, was the Super Nintendo. When Nintendo came out with the Nintendo 64, they made the wonderful decision of using cartridges when they really should have been using CDs. And because of that, PlayStation kicked its ass. And then Nintendo came out with the GameCube, which looked f***ing ugly. And graphically, it was like, wow, this is more powerful than a PlayStation 2. And then Nintendo went and put games on these tiny little discs to combat piracy which was fine i guess but then the problem was that the system couldn't play dvds which didn't seem like a big deal at the time because the argument at the time was oh but if people want to watch dvds they've got dvd players in their homes but the playstation 2 being able to play dvds was a huge reason as to why that system was so successful my playstation 2 was my dvd player For Nintendo to turn around and not allow DVD playback on their console was a big mistake. It was a huge mistake. And then with the Wii, wonderful, it has Wii remote controls and finally Nintendo are dabbling with the idea of online gaming, but it's no more powerful than a GameCube. And I'm not even willing to buy this shit about the console being 
1.5 more times powerful than a GameCube. Let's be real, it's not 1.5 more anything. It is as powerful as a GameCube. No more, no less. And that was a huge mistake <laughs> again. And once again, Nintendo turn around and they do not include any DVD playback. What is wrong with these people in Kyoto? They need a kick in the face. Graphically, the Wii is on par with the GameCube and I don't see how that could be beneficial. I mean, actually, tell a lie. It's beneficial because it enabled Nintendo to make a profit with the Wii. The tech which runs the Wii is old. It is dirt cheap. But then the problem is, is when you're releasing a console which graphically is so inferior to the competition, it's only going to go so far. Now it's put Nintendo in the position where they're going to have to release a console to keep up with Microsoft and Sony's earlier than perhaps they anticipated. Nintendo's whole thing with the Wii seemed to be graphics aren't everything. We've got motion sense controls. And that worked as a hook for the console up until Microsoft released Kinect and Sony came with PlayStation Move, both of which were much more accurate and advanced pieces of tech than what the Wii remote was built on. And then it was like, the Wii's nothing now (laughs) because we've got two consoles which graphically are much better and they've got motion controls. So... Nintendo, what you gonna do? What you gonna do? And the first party titles aren't gonna save it. Like, who gives a shit about Skyward Sword now? They're probably going to end up doing with that game what they did with Twilight Princess and roll it onto the new system, which is shit. I don't know about you out there, but I would rather have a Zelda game built from the ground up for a new console. I don't want this rollover shit. Stop that. Stop it, please. It's just mess, and... The problem with this new console that Nintendo will be showing at E3 that I have is that I'm afraid that once again Nintendo are going to be taking three steps forward and then four steps back. Word in the gaming grapevine is that the new Nintendo console specs are similar to that of an Xbox 360 which does not fill me with any kind of confidence. If Nintendo's new console is only going to be just as powerful as an Xbox 360, that's worrying. The Xbox 360 is six years old. So whatever Nintendo brings to the table needs to be significantly more powerful than the PlayStation 3. I think for Nintendo to come up with a console which is no more powerful than a system which has been out longer than five years is stupid. Once again, Nintendo are going to be playing catch-up because then what happens two years after or one year after when Microsoft and Sony announce new consoles and they are more powerful than everything in the world ever. And then Nintendo's got this system which once again is a whole generation behind. And then Nintendo's caught in this loop of playing catch-up. And then you find that Nintendo are in that horrible place which Sega were in with the Dreamcast. And I can't help but think of the Dreamcast when I think of Nintendo's new console. Especially in lieu of hearing that Nintendo are going to be releasing it so much earlier than the competition and the controller's going to have a built-in screen. VMU, anybody? Okay. So, I'm not filled with confidence concerning this new console of Nintendo's. I'm really not. And I swear to Jeebus, if Nintendo turn around and release this console at E3 and there is not so much as DVD playback, I will slap somebody in the face with a leather glove. I will. 
because Nintendo really need to come to terms with the idea that gamers nowadays, they don't just want a console which can play games. You know, Nintendo need to really give gamers an incentive to not buy any other system. And this is something which Microsoft and Sony have done a really good job of. Microsoft have done a really good job of selling the Xbox 360 as the console to have. Why do you need a PlayStation 3? If you don't watch Blu-ray, you don't need a PlayStation 3. End of argument. And likewise with the PlayStation 3. You have a system here which is more powerful than an Xbox 360. You can play games online for free and you can watch Blu-ray. What do you need an Xbox 360 for? And Sony and Microsoft have been really good at doing that. With the Wii, and what I'm afraid might happen with Nintendo's next console, is that it becomes another another partner thing. Yeah, this console's good, but not on its own. It's only good if you have another console to get all of those other games as well. There are many people out there that have an Xbox 360 but don't have a PS3 and vice versa. I think there are very few people out there that have a Wii and that is their exclusive, absolute console they use for entertainment purposes. But I have this horrible feeling that the I just I don't know. I just have I just know Nintendo's going to come out with something mind blowing in one sense, but then regressive in another. So yes, I mean I was having a discussion with my friend last week about this whole new Nintendo console situation and I said I think it would be really cool well not so much cool but I'd I'd find it really funny if Nintendo turned around with this new system and released it at a really high price point and it was ridiculously powerful and ridiculously expensive and Nintendo just wanted money we are in a a consumer age now where consumers expect to pay more and a large part of that is because of Two companies I'm going to name, because they're the only ones I can think of who really drive this point home, are Sony and Apple. Now, Sony and Apple have, over the past couple of years, or the past five years, been notorious for releasing products at very high price points. Price points which people turned around and said were too high, no one would buy your system at that price, and lo and behold, they've released their products and they've sold like wildfire. And... Because of this, Sony and Apple have set a very high benchmark and they've set a standard which says to everyone else, you can release an expensive piece of hardware at a high price and people will buy it. People will buy it. And even though Sony and Apple could release their products at a lower price, why would they? They've been selling their systems at a high price point for years and people have been buying them in their droves so why would they lower the price it would make no sense and because of this i think nintendo could potentially put out a system which bucks their trend of being cheap old featuring obsolete pieces of hardware and just think Fuck it we're going to release this ridiculously expensive and powerful piece of kit for six hundred dollars and you're going to buy it And it's something that Nintendo may well need to consider because they really can't afford to put out another old, outdated piece of hardware and expect people to just fall in love with it and expect it to just be successful on those merits alone. And Nintendo also need to realise that Microsoft and Sony are formidable forces to be reckoned with. Shit isn't how it was 10 years ago. Nintendo need to wake up and smell the coffee. Oh, you see what I did there? Project Cafe Coffee? Yeah, okay. So I'm I'm not really overjoyed 
about this new Nintendo system. I know that Nintendo are in a position where they have to release something, but I just hope it doesn't bite them in the arse. And I hope that Nintendo do everything in their power to make this system future-proof, which means making the console ridiculously powerful. And another thing which I'd love for Nintendo to do would be to include Blu-ray. Now, only because Blu-ray is a Sony-created media, it doesn't mean other companies can't use it. Microsoft could work Blu-ray into their new console if they wanted to, and there's nothing stopping Nintendo doing the same. I think for Nintendo to use Blu-ray would be a really smart decision. It would not only close the gap between their system and Sony's, but it would really put the fire up Microsoft's asses. They'd be like, shit, Nintendo's hopping on this Blu-ray thing. What are we going to do? And I think it would also be a cool tongue-in-cheek tongue wag at sony like hey you stole our wii remote air we're using your media suck it bitch if i had a wish list of things i would like nintendo to do with their new console a stop this we're going to release cheap systems because we don't believe graphics are everything spill just make the system powerful release it at a high price point and if people like it and they like what they see they will buy it second of all online gaming you need to stop with this friend code mess I don't mind punching in a 16-digit console code if it spreads across every game. You can't be having this individual friend code crap per game. Stop that nonsense. Second of all, come out with a centralised system which shows when friends are online, which lets you hop between menus in the middle of a game and all that good stuff. You need a really decent dashboard system. The Wii Channel system was good to begin with, but it's, it's dead, it's tired now come with something new thirdly hop on the home entertainment plan (laughs) you need to stop this idealist thought that you have in your head that gamers do not want a home entertainment system in their console we do we do nintendo you've got you've got to keep up with the joneses you really do gamers want some home entertainment action going on with their consoles you may not see that but you're being blind if you don't it's the future it's it's what games are now next um what would my next point be i'm trying to think my mind's gone blank oh of course it needs to be hd that that's a given the wii not being hd i actually i believe nintendo to begin with when they said oh nobody's interested in hd not many people own hd tvs but a lot can change in a year And we are living in a HD time now. Their next console has to be HD. There's no two ways about it. So if if Nintendo come out with a new console and it's not HD, then they can suck my toe. They can suck my toe. All ten of them. I really hope that Nintendo's next generation goes really well. The 3DS is off to a bad start. But I, I believe Nintendo can pick that up as we go into the holiday season. But so much is riding on this new system. And I hope it doesn't put Nintendo in the same position it puts Sega in. Because there's a lot pointing towards that happening right now. And the Nintendo fan in me is quite scared about that. So, um, roll on E3. Roll on. These are the random rambles of Jay.
I had mentioned in my last podcast that as a result of completing Mass Effect 1, I had become a bit of a Mass Effect fiend and was eager to sink my teeth into Mass Effect 2. Between then and now, I have completed Mass Effect 2 and what a great game that is. I wasn't expecting Mass Effect 2 to be that good. I had to have a word with myself and just wonder why it took me so long to get into that game when it was that good. All of my friends tried to tell me, they were like, Jay, you need to play Mass Effect 2. (laughs) You really need to play this game. And now, when I talk to them, I won't shut up about it. And they're like, this is old news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did tell you. We did tell you. We tried to tell you, but you did not want to listen. I have to put my hands up and say, I'm sorry. Bioware, I'm sorry. I was late to your party. I won't be late again. Mass Effect 3 will be a day <laughs> of release purchase for me. And um, I, I guess you could say what I'm about to do is going to be a review of sorts. But I kind of want to talk about key elements of the game which I feel were better than Mass Effect 1. Or to just compare the two games in general. And the main reason for this is because what makes Mass Effect 2 such a great game is that it improves on so many of the aspects of Mass Effect 1. Some aspects which really did need to be ironed out in the sequel, some which didn't but Bioware messed with anyway and did great things with. But there are also some aspects of Mass Effect 1 which are better than the second game and it splits fans down the middle, especially when I think about some of my friends who are Mass Effect fans. Half of my friends who have played Mass Effect, they prefer the first game, half of them prefer the second. And then there are some of you out there listening to this who have played Mass Effect 2 and love that game to pieces but you haven't played the first. So. Let's talk about the basic things, first of all, which you probably wouldn't even need to play the first game to really get. The graphics in Mass Effect 2, amazing. Mass Effect 1 was a great looking game, stunning, even now, even alongside Mass Effect 2, it still looked great. But there were some issues with the graphics, and one of the main ones were textures. Now, whenever you walk into an area in Mass Effect 1, or you'd load the squad menu, everything would appear flat there were no textures and it was only when you left the game for like a few seconds or you started to wander around an area all the textures would start to load in place now this wasn't a major problem because it didn't break the game in any way you could still play it but it was a kick in the nuts to the overall polish of the game because, I mean, it, it did look really bad. I mean, you walk around an area, everything would look shit, and then all of a sudden textures would start loading. Like I said, it wasn't a major thing. It didn't affect the gameplay directly, but in Mass Effect 2, that doesn't happen at all. And in terms of the overall look of Mass Effect 2, it looks so much better than the first game. It's little things that the lighting is more advanced and the textures are so much richer and... In terms of the design of the locations, there's a lot more flair. Mass Effect 1's locations weren't that memorable. Very open, they were very drab. There was, there was nothing distinct about the locations in Mass Effect 1. Whereas in Mass Effect 2, we can definitely see that the artists really made it their goal to ensure that every location that you visit has something unique and memorable 
about it and they did a great job every planet that you go to you always remember something about it something really it could be something small it could be something huge but you always remember something about that planet which helps you remember it which is great if you need to visit a particular planet to go back and do a side mission because you're like oh god I can't remember that name of the planet but I know it's the one where the sun was really hot oh I know it was the planet that looked like a dump and that's great because the looks of the um, the planets and the areas you visit act as a point of reference. So that's one thing which is majorly improved in Mass Effect 2 is that the whole universe feels more memorable. It feels more inhabitable. And the second thing is the sound. Now, the voice acting in Mass Effect 1 was good. And this is something which has been improved on in Mass Effect 2. And I think it's mainly because many of the other races in Mass Effect 2 get more spotlight there are certain races which are mentioned in Mass Effect 1 but you don't actually meet them but you get to converse with them in Mass Effect 2 and because of this the vo- I wouldn't say the voice acting is necessarily better because it was good in Mass Effect 1 but you definitely feel as though it's more of an ensemble cast in Mass Effect 2 simply because you've got more races introduced. So you've got different voices, different inflections, different enunciations being thrown around, which enhances the overall experience of the speech and just makes it sound richer. I think the main gambit with the sound for me is definitely the soundtrack. Mass Effect 1 had a solid soundtrack, but you didn't always notice it. The soundtrack in Mass Effect 1 was more ambient, the ending theme in Mass Effect 1 is the absolute shit. I was not prepared for that ending song and I love it. I actually downloaded it and put it on my iPod because I love it that much. But generally, in terms of the game soundtrack, you tend not to notice it. With Mass Effect 2, the soundtrack is much more... It's a lot more dynamic. You notice it more. The soundtrack comes to the forefront of Mass Effect 2 as opposed to being ambient and just being something which is just there in the background for the sake of it It, the the soundtrack in Mass Effect 2 is brilliant it's very epic, orchestral very sweeping in all the right places amazing though I am pissed that the critical mission fail music the game over music they messed with it a little in Mass Effect 2 because the game over music in Mass Effect 1 I loved it was so gang. it was gangster gangster's the only word I can think of to describe it I mean you die and all you hear is and you're just like wow my character just died but I love this beat and <laughs> they re- <laughs> they remix it in Mass Effect 2 but it doesn't really stand out that much which is strange considering the whole the rest of the soundtrack and the audio in Mass Effect 2 is so much more noticeable whereas the game over music the one memorable piece of music from Mass Effect 1 they dial it down in the second game but that's a small thing um another aspect which I think Bioware did an amazing job with in Mass Effect 2 is the narrative flow Mass Effect 1 I think it suffered in a way because the narrative in that game wasn't that strong there were certain missions in that game where the narrative was incredibly strong but then you'd find you'd be doing lots of missions in between where there'd be pretty much no narrative at all whatsoever whereas in Mass Effect 2 it doesn't matter whether you do a side mission or whether you're doing a mission which isn't really critical to the overall arc of the plot whatsoever there is always a strong narrative which runs through it and it does the game wonders it makes you feel that everything you're doing is relevant 
in the grand scheme of things whereas in Mass Effect 1 there were so many times you'd be doing these little side quests and these little side missions and there would be no narrative and you'd actually wonder what the hell you were doing that was a problem for me in Mass Effect 1 because not only did it weaken the plot but it just made you forget what you were doing every side mission you do in Mass Effect 2 it doesn't matter how insignificant it seems at the time the narrative is pushed in a way so that it feels relevant which just makes the game easier to play I feel and this leads into the structure of the game now Mass Effect 1 had lots of moments where your character would be flouncing around in the galaxy and you'd think to yourself what mission am I supposed to be doing again? Which planet am I supposed to visit? Who am I supposed to rendezvous with? The thing is with me, when I play a game, I'm very easily distracted. So with Mass Effect 1, I found myself doing lots of little side missions. But then, when I was ready for the plot to advance, I think to myself, shit, where am I supposed to go? What was I supposed to be doing? And the game wasn't really that helpful in pointing you in the right direction and ensuring that it's easy for you to get back on track once you fall off track. Mass Effect 2 deals with that by, first of all, introducing a galaxy map which is informative, useful, easy to navigate and just quick. Also, you have a personal slut secretary by the name of Kelly. She always informs you when you've got new messages that you need to read, which very often would be plot-related. And she'd also inform you when there's a member of your crew that would like a word with you which would then signify okay this is another mission that needs to be done this is a moment which is going to push the plot forward so you never feel like you don't know what you're doing in Mass Effect 2 whereas in Mass Effect 1 it was very easy to just get lost in the side missions and find yourself standing there thinking okay what do I actually need to do and I think the biggest improvement which Bioware made and it's it's a very general thing, but it's the gameplay. The gameplay in Mass Effect 2 is so much more polished, which is how a sequel should be, and this is what made Mass Effect 2 such an amazing playing experience for me. The whole time I was playing it, I was thinking to myself, wow, Bioware actually thought of everything. Everything. There were things about Mass Effect 1 which I did hate. One was the inventory system. I won't tell you why the inventory system sucks, just know that it does suck. Bioware completely scrapped that in Mass Effect 2, thank God. And another thing which ties into the battle system, which I'll get into later, is that in Mass Effect 2, weapons have ammo, which I was a bit concerned about at first, but ammo clips in Mass Effect 2 are universal, they work with every gun, and nine times out of ten when you kill an enemy they'll drop ammo anyway in Mass Effect 1 you didn't get ammo at all guns had unlimited ammo but the way that the game capped you with the guns in Mass Effect 1 was that you had an overheat gauge which meant that you couldn't hold your finger down on the button and get too trigger happy every time you fired a shot the gauge would go up and if it maxed out your gun would overheat and for a temporary amount of time you would be unable to fire your weapon and this causes so many problems when you're in the middle of a fight sometimes. You've got so many enemies on the screen that you're trying to kill that you just forget, shit, my gun can overheat and before you know it, it's overheated and you can't fire. And it's sod's law that this would always happen when a Krogan's charging right towards you or there's a Geth right in your face. 
and you can't fire, you can't do anything, you can't use your biotic powers. Next thing you know. You're dead. And, and oh, and actually this brings me on to a point which I did miss. Mass Effect 2 does a much better job with checkpoints. When you die in Mass Effect 2, you tend not to start too far back from where you actually died. Whereas in Mass Effect 1, if you die in the middle of a mission and you did not save it, it will send you so far back. And this used to drive me nuts. It used to make me want to throw my Xbox 360 out of a window. This was something which used to just make me think, I'm turning this game off. I really cannot be asked. It's a sign of bad game designer, really, because in Mass Effect 1, when I learnt my lesson the first couple of times, I found myself saving it every step I took because I was so paranoid of dying and being sent right to the start of a mission that I just had to keep saving. Thankfully, Mass Effect 2, it introduces the idea of checkpoints. It doesn't ever tell you when you've reached the checkpoint, but the game obviously has some kind of underlying checkpoint system because I did find that whenever I did die, I wouldn't start right at the start of a mission, which was incredibly helpful. Back to the gameplay which I was getting to about dying. So the ammo system in Mass Effect 1 was a problem because you did tend to find that your gun would overheat and you couldn't fire and it meant you had to shoot like a little bitch so you were like which isn't fun you don't want to if you're in a game where you've got a gun you want to go mad and the ammo system allows you to do that um and also the gameplay in Mass Effect 2 has a much better pace which is all down to the narrative flow and the structure so I don't really need to go too much into that and because of the narrative flow and the structure, the game is much more interesting. Even though the plot isn't as strong in Mass Effect 2 as it is in Mass Effect 1, and I will get onto that, the whole game feels much more interesting to play because there's always something going on, there's always something being pushed. And again, as a result of the structure being so much better, and also because of the stronger narrative flow, this all feeds into Mass Effect 2 being a much more streamlined game than the first. Mass Effect 1 felt very, very open-ended at times, which was great. Mass Effect 1 features a great deal more side missions than Mass Effect 2 does. You did tend to find that the side missions in Mass Effect 1, they were interesting and some of them were really cool, but you'd lose your head because there were so many of them and they kind of, you'd get confused. Is this a side mission? Is this a main plot device pushing mission it was too much whereas Mass Effect 2 does a much better job of letting you know this is a mission which will push the plot forward this is a side mission this is a mission which isn't crucial but it might help you if you do it anyway i.e. the loyalty missions so overall the gameplay in Mass Effect 2 is much stronger and you always feel like you're doing something I mean from the second you start the game bang Shepard grab a weapon enemies are coming in you walk through a couple of corridors, bang, you meet your first character who's in your party and has biotic powers. Everything moves at such a fast pace and it just throws you into the action, which I love. Whereas with Mass Effect 1, there is a very, very slow learning curve, which didn't do wonders for me. So overall, the gameplay system is much stronger. The battle system in Mass Effect 2, it isn't vastly improved over Mass Effect 1. I think Mass Effect 1 did quite a good job with the AI and the battle system, but it's the little things that Bioware improved on where the battle system is concerned that makes the overall experience better in general. 
Oh no, one thing I should mention actually that's vastly improved. Um, the way that the the areas and environments are laid out. Mass Effect has a cover system which is crucial to surviving in this game. And in Mass Effect 2, you tend to find that the environments are laid out in such a way that there is always cover for you to hide behind. Whereas in Mass Effect 1, areas were much more open, which meant that you were much more prone to getting killed. And this is another thing which annoyed me, and this is something which Bioware have improved on in Mass Effect 2, because every time you go into an area, it always feels like it's well populated with something you can get cover behind, which not only makes the fights more interesting and fun, but it makes the battles much more fair. And Shepard, Shepard is a legend. He's a legend. I love Shepard. He feels much more like your front man in this game than he did in Mass Effect 1. In Mass Effect 2, he's pretty much famous. He's the one responsible for stopping a Reaper in Mass Effect 1 and he died and come back to life. So everyone's like, oh, Shepard, come back to life. The galaxy fears you and he just feels like more of a badass in this game. I love Shepard in Mass Effect 1, but I love the next level he stepped to in Mass Effect 2. The, the guy's a... Shepard is a boss. Shepard is a boss. I love him. I love him. And Shepard's also a pimp in this game. Shepard was Shepard was pimping in the first game, but in this game, actually, he's more than a pimp. He's just a slut. Shepard is a skank, skank Shepard, slut Shepard, ho Shepard, whore Shepard. He, I mean, Shepard will f anybody in Mass Effect 2. See, I mean, Shepard can f every female on the Normandy in Mass Effect 2. He doesn't care. He will throw his penis at anything. There were female characters in this game I didn't think Shepard could sleep with. But then I have a conversation with them and then before I know it, Shepard has his penis in her vagina. Shepard can bang anybody. I actually tried to see if he could bang Edie, the Normandy AI. Yes, Shepard. I want to know more about you. I enjoy the sight of humans on their knees. Activate the drive and I will open the airlocks as we accelerate. Shepard's a whore, but I love it. I love that Shepard's a whore. I hope they're making more of a whore in Mass Effect 3. He'll probably be able to have sex with Geth in Mass Effect 3. I actually did try to see if he could have sex with Gen in Mass Effect 2. But um, I'm sure he'll be able to have sex with the Reaper and a Collective in Mass Effect 3. I'm sure of that. Overall, Shepard is great. I mean, in Mass Effect 2, for me, he's up there with Nathan Drake and Solid Snake. Definitely. He is just such a cool character. And... For, for me, he comes off as a stronger character because I keep him default. Um, in Mass Effect 1, I didn't change his appearance. In Mass Effect 2, again, I didn't change his appearance. Whenever a game gives me license to change a character's appearance or name, I never tend to change it. It's like with the old Final Fantasy games. You could name the characters what you liked. I always kept them default. And likewise in Mass Effect, I just wanted to keep Shepard as the way Bioware had him depicted on the artwork. Part of me wonders if Bioware should have even allowed you to change the character's face <laughs> because I, I think I think Shepard would come off much stronger if he had the same face in everybody's game but then again I think allowing your character to have a different appearance allows you to identify more with that character so if you're a black gamer you can make your Shepard black 
if you're a female you can make your shepherd female so i guess in that regard it, it is actually really cool because it gives you it gives you a character that you can identify with but me personally i just like the default shepherd so shepherd is a pimp in mass effect 2 much better than he was in mass effect 1 and generally mass effect 2 is a much better game if you've played the first i cannot stress this enough what you can do in Mass Effect 2 is that you can import your save from Mass Effect 1 which means all the decisions that you made in that game impact the second one. There are certain moments which I don't know, I just feel like if I played through Mass Effect 2 I'd like to think that what occurs in this game I had some control over it in the first so for instance one of the biggest decisions that you make in Mass Effect 1 is deciding the fate of one of your crew members two of your crew members are in two different parts of the planet and both of them are getting attacked and you have to choose who to save but if you play Mass Effect 2 without an imported save by default Ashley is the character which survives Kaiden is the one that dies Over my, I hold my head Kaiden dead That's one of those things where you probably think to yourself I would have really liked to I've had control over which character survived and which character died because I just would like to. I have to say, I saved Ashley in the first game, but I regret it now because I can't stand her. And I actually had sex with her in the first game. And I regret that. I just... Hey, Ashley's so racist. Ashley is so damn racist. I don't know why I had sex with that bitch. If I could go back, I'd let that bitch die. But I think generally a lot of people probably let Ashley live because she's a female character but Kaiden for me was he was my favourite character in Mass Effect 1 I loved him I loved Kaiden I actually loved Kaiden there was a point in the game where I actually tried to see if Shepard could sleep with Kaiden but he can't although YouTube videos indicate that Bioware did intend at some point for Shepard to sleep with Kaiden wahaha Google but yeah so that's definitely why I think if you've not played Mass Effect 1 but you've played through Mass Effect 2, you need to go back and play the first game somehow. Somehow. Buy an Xbox 360, play it on PC, borrow a friend's Xbox, you need to play it. There are quite a fair few decisions that you make in the first game which do impact the second game. They don't impact it in a huge way, but they do impact the overall experience in general. And also, it must be annoying to play Mass Effect 2 and hear that these characters are mentioning all these other characters and these events that you don't really know too much about. Mass Effect 2 does a really good job of filling you in on the events of Mass Effect 1 without giving you the full lowdown. But if you did know exactly what happened prior to the events of Mass Effect 2, it would make the whole playing experience so much stronger. And it would also push your dialogue conversations in one direction or the other. So um, Mass Effect 2 is a great game, but it is even better if you played through that. Mass Effect 2, I'll start again. Mass Effect 2 is a great game, but it is made better if you played the first. Oh, the plot. Now, the plot to Mass Effect 1 is stronger. I'll just break it down. Mass Effect 1 has a better plot, but a weaker narrative. Mass Effect 2 has a weaker plot, but a stronger narrative. I don't want to ruin the plot for Mass Effect 1 for you too much, but... In terms of what is being done, the threat that the galaxy is in and whatnot, Mass Effect 1 did a much better job with this. The plot in Mass Effect 1 was better. Um, there were more revelations. 
the final moments of that game were much more epic. Yes, more epic than the suicide mission, trust me. And I don't know, I kind of feel like Ma- Mass Effect 2, and um, this isn't a spoiler because it's something which is brought to light at the very, very start of Mass Effect 2. The whole plot for Mass Effect 2 is pretty much that you've got these beings known as collectors who are working for the Reapers and they are just going to each planet and abducting humans. They fly through your mass relay, snatching your people up, trying to take them, so you better hide your kids, hide your wife and hide That is pretty much the whole plot of Mass Effect 2. That humans are being abducted and nothing else so the big deal with the humans being collected you kind of gather it all along of course humans are being collected for some greater purpose that the reapers want why else would they so i kind of feel like mass effect 2's plot is really really weak but the narrative is better because of the way that this weak plot is pushed. I have to hand it to Bioware, they did a great job. They did a great job of really pushing a weak plot, but generally Mass Effect 1's plot was much, much better. And also Mass Effect 1 had a particular character who you were chasing, who acted as the game's antagonist. Whereas in Mass Effect 2, you're kind of just fighting a race of people. So there isn't really, there isn't a bad guy. And the one character who you think could potentially be the bad guy isn't, or he isn't yet, anyway. Did anyone else think the elusive man was a bad guy? I know I did. It's always nicer if you have a bad guy who is actually a face, who's going around killing people and doing really bad things, and that's what made Mass Effect 1 so cool, that you had this one character who you were able to put a face to the destruction. This feeds into a problem I've always had with Final Fantasy games as of late. I mean, look at Final Fantasy VII. You had Sephiroth. He was walking around, stabbing bitches, slicing people, doing all of this bad, naughty stuff. And it made him a great antagonist in that game because you had a face to match destruction that was being caused in the game. Whereas in Final Fantasy VIII and IX and X and not so much twelve, but thirteen as well, there wasn't really a bad guy it was just there were a collective of people or a swarm of beings doing all of this bad stuff and then there is just some robot thing at the end that you fight and that's it that's the case in mass effect 2 judging from the mass effect 3 trailer it looks like it's going to be the same thing but it would definitely be nice if there was this main person who you were able to just identify with as being this evil bastard that you really need to kill Mass Effect 2 trounces Mass Effect 1 in every aspect except for the plot but it balances out because as I said the plot in Mass Effect 2 is really weak but the narrative strong so generally speaking Mass Effect 2 for me was the better game but there were definitely aspects of Mass Effect 1 which I preferred which is why I urge you to play the first game if you haven't damn it and that's all there is to say mass effect 3 is going to be epic 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 in my life epic And the 25th 
random ramble of Jay comes to a close. Wow, what more is there for me to say? I've been talking your ear off for the past hour or so. Thank you to all of you who made it through this podcast from start to finish, no skipping. (laughs) I appreciate it. To my long-term listeners who have been rolling with me since my very first mess of a podcast, which I was reluctant to call a podcast some time ago, thank you very much for continuing to subscribe to my podcasts, download my podcasts and listen to my podcast. It means so much to me. So thank you. And on that note, I will say goodbye. Be safe. Keep gaming. Enjoy yourselves. Enjoy life. And I will catch you all soon. See ya. Bye bye. Ha, ha, ha.